Scrum. Welcome back to the Savage Cromcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua. And I'm the third host, and my name is Luke. No, no extra syllable for you. Just Lukeula. <laughs> Lukeula. Luke Ligula. <laughs> got my fangs on. Uh, welcome to season 18, episode two, The Frost Giant's Daughter, uh, our return to the Road of Kings, our return to Conan. Um, didn't it make you want to beat a, a bass drum or oh, a timpani drum and like just? I have I have a lot of feelings about this story, and yes, that is one of the feelings. Is timpani drum? Yeah, drum yeah. like drum noise. Drum noise. Yeah, the th- but throbbing in your ears. Concussion. Uh, another feeling mm-hmm. that this story evokes. <laughs> uh, we do we have an admission of of error up yeah, front? Is we're that... uh, we're kind of off track from what we did in season one, right? And it's only episode two. <laughs> we did a good I'll job of announcing the rails. things. Yeah, we've already we've already hopped off the rails. We're gonna hop back on the rails though, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, we train. are talking about the Frost Giant's Daughter or Gods of the North. Mm-hmm. And so this story was published within Howard's life. It was not identified as a Conan story at the time. Uh, and we did cover it in season one, but in the first season of the Chromecast, we jumped right over to the Scarlet Citadel. But in our enthusiasm of talking about the writing history of uh, the Phoenix on the Sword and what came thereafter and flipping through our Delrays uh, in our last recording, we said, you know, we're going to talk about the Frost Giant's Daughter next because that was like literally the next story nope. on the next page. And we were talking about that that was one of the next two stories that Howard wrote featuring Conan, the other being The God in the Bowl, God, right? Mm-hmm. God in the Bowl. Uh, but it was not the next published Conan story. So we're going to talk about this story here because we announced it. Mm-hmm. And this is a cool little juxtaposition because it's a different aged Conan. It's a different setting. Uh, it's a different kind of little narrative all all, all wrapped up. But we will jump back over. We're announcing it now so that we don't screw things up at the back end of this episode. We'll talk about the Scarlet Citadel for the third episode, right? Right. And we'll largely follow the same framework that we did with our first season. Carrying on. Yeah. Um, But it's cool to talk about this story now because it was one of the, the three early Conan stories. And it'll be neat to sort of build this mythos i think um the the first story phoenix on the sword we needed we needed call right we mm-hmm. needed uh dark valley for the samaria poem right we needed uh this uh this idea that what we're seeing in conan is maybe an idealized howard now we need uh thomas bullfinch right <laughs> yeah 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 there's a lot of uh the mythology that overrides I would say the narrative of this story, (laughs) like this is more of, uh, I don't want to say Howard aping a myth, but 
it's like Howard like interpreting a myth, right? Yeah, for sure. It, it is. It is to me like taking a Greek myth and then kind of painting a, a Norse veneer over it. Yeah, I I wrote that down. Did you? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Like taking the Greek stuff north and saying like, yeah, actually, it happened here. Is veneer a uh, unintended pun? Yes. Are they the van- veneer? Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be fun to talk about it right after talking about Phoenix on the Sword. And Luke brought up a really interesting point about the endings of these two stories earlier yeah. that that I'm pretty jazzed to talk about. So it's, this is a weird juxtaposition, and to think about the God in the Bowl as maybe the the third of the the initial trio of things that Howard wrote. That's a totally other, different, weird story. It's mm-hmm. funny that. Conan has such disparate characterizations, uh, different, I don't know if disparate is the right word, but different characterizations, different kind of personas across those yeah. those stories. Mm-hmm. But they're like the Triforce. I mean, they're just like, the power they, they just demonstrate how varied, like you can take Conan and drop him in a city or in the hinterlands out on the, the, the icy steppe. Uh, he can be fighting uh, political intrigue or straight up godlike monsters or trying to solve a mystery and then ultimately there's revelations of a weird alien kind of monster thingy. Mm-hmm. Like it's they're all so very different. He's got range like Amy Adams. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. He's he uh he was the the Amy Adams of of that weird tales of, of point in time. Uh, I was thinking about Batman and all the weird the weird stories you can tell with Batman, and I don't think Conan is quite there. Like, could you do a a, a Conan the Barbarian of Zer N R or or? I'd love to see it. You love to see it. I would love um, to see it. Or or like, could there be a Conan might? I don't know. That would be probably a bridge too far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but There's probably no black case book for. He's Conan. somewhere between. He's somewhere between Batman and Superman in that regard. I think because yeah. Superman, you can tell weird, like silly stories with, but I don't know. It's not the same. Yeah, there's definitely a gradient like Tarzan to Batman, and Conan is more in the middle. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Tarzan doesn't have the range. No, I don't think. I don't think so either. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's fighting in the jungle. That's his thing. He's fighting <laughs> in he's, the. No Tarzan might there either. Yeah. Uh, this is good banter. I Thanks. like it. <laughs> Premium. We're keeping Premium. it fresh. How do we keep this banter up, John? Uh, there are liquid refreshments on the table. I had a Shinerbach myself. How about you, Luke? Uh, well, I had one of your Guinness uh, in the can, but it's a, a draft. So you pop it and the widget goes, pssst, and then you pour it into a cup and then you get a little bit of a head and then you just drink it. So I did that. And now I'm drinking a Founders All Day IPA, which is what I have to offer. So if anybody wants some some green, five percent, uh, easy drinking pale ales, I got those. Josh, what did you bring? I brought Evan Williams, Kentucky's first distiller. Damn right, it's, it's the <laughs> and proud. It's wearing that tuxedo. That's what the bottle looks like. I don't know. I always think about Evan Williams like it's it's a black tie affair. I see that and it's a little bit fancy. Well, he's got kind of a uh, basil like he's got the uh huh. He's got uh, the Thomas Jefferson core. Well, I guess of, it is uh, Evan Williams, right? Like yeah. I get yeah. So uh, yeah. Thomas so Jefferson don't you think? <laughs> and there's a barrel or two, and he's got a he's got a little uh, tasting glass, like, and he's looking at it pensively. He's about it. Yeah, 
It's no cottage core here. Uh, Papaw core is Papa the core. new is the new <laughs> thing. Papaw core is the new thing. Uh, Papaw core is having a pocket knife. Okay. So you can help whenever it's it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Papaw core is uh, watching Hank, watching in your back Hanky in the back pocket, uh, telling stories. Watching Jeopardy and, oh, okay. and Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, then going to bed. <laughs> it is Papa Core is the new hotness. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So bib overalls or bib overalls okay. if you want. If you want. Yeah. You could also do like plain white button up shirt, mm-hmm. blue okay. shirt, uh, Dockers. Yeah. Yeah. What? It's, yes. It's not talking a lot. It's posting nope. uh like sunrise pictures yeah. on your Instagrams. It's Might not like wh- it's not like personal like face selfies. It's like <laughs> I'm just rocking here at five thirty or six in the morning. You might be whittling. You might you might be going to Hardee's for a gravy bowl and yeah. egg. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Papa Papa Core is pretty rocking. That does sound fun. Yeah. Why aren't <laughs> like we living? You said it was rocking. <laughs> <laughs> that was another joke. That's the kind of stuff you get here. Veneer van here. Rocking and rocking. What in the world? I've had a lot of Evan Williams. <laughs> I am glad that I got to quickly recover. I made the the remark that it was Basil Hayden, and that's like that's like Jim Beam. That's the that's the other side. So I I screwed that up. It's all so good, buddy. Apologies, and hopefully I didn't lose any points on my uh, my my bourbon license Not at all. here in Kentucky. No, distilled app. Uh, <laughs> so Evan Williams Black Label is the bee's knees. It's good. It's it's. Ten bu- I spent $10 on this, and I'm enjoying it with friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way to do it. And with listeners. And with listeners. I hope they buy a bottle and then go out and buy some of our... Yeah, nothing. We don't sell anything. No. One things. But go buy a, go buy a book. Yeah, that was Treat a good transition. Yourself. That was a good transition. I Thank caught you. it. I did realize that <laughs> you were trying to move the uh, train along. Just trying to, yeah, <laughs> keep us rolling. <laughs> Insert. Back on the track, as oh. Luke said earlier. Insert song here. Excellent. One uh, yeah, you're going to go first. Sure, we, man. Yeah. Are we rolling, we Jimmy? Locked, we locked eyes. It's right here. Yeah. This thing. It's a connection. <laughs> twosies on twosies. That is eyes to eyes. <laughs> Uh, so my one thing is, I guess it has to be all things Warhammer. That's kind of nice. been, that's kind of been my jam the past few weeks. Uh, They're hanging out with us on the table here. Yeah. On the table. The, the I had to show off. I have a couple of dreadnoughts here. Uh, I have an Invictor tactical war suit as well as a Redemptor dreadnought. These are Primaris, uh, uh, heavy. Well, actually they're not heavies. They're elites, uh, within your Warhammer 40 K army. That's what I got going. Uh, I've joined a narrative league at one of the local uh, game stores in town for the the entirety of this year. And at this point, I've played a whopping two games of Warhammer 40k at the, the combat patrol or the 500 point level. Uh, the first game, I got spanked. I was tabled in the third turn. Uh, which was okay because I knew that was going to happen. And the, the dude that beat me was very gracious and helpful. And then more recently, just a few days ago, I went back the next weekend and played with another, another person and I got spanked again, but, uh, I got tabled in the fourth turn. So I lasted four turns and a game of Warhammer lasts five turns. So my hope is that this weekend 
maybe I can go a full game before I get spanked up like a little a little toddler. <laughs> <laughs> so we will see. It's super fun. Uh, my army, the the Wayward Sons, are a uh, Primaris uh, based ultra ultramarines uh, faction, and they're they're pretty basic. They're blue. They got some gold, some red, and I'm excited. At this point, I've been playing uh, a list that is subpar, I would say, because when I generated my list and I was like all ready to go to our first to the first meetup, like the sort of inaugural, like get started with the, the narrative league. It was supposed to be a 500 point game. And a week before that, Games Workshop kind of restructured the the points allotments and Space Marines got all kinds of breaks. So what I had originally as a 500 point list dropped down to around 410 points. So I've been playing kind of at 80% capacity yeah, you <laughs> the got last two weeks. <laughs> uh, so uh, if I can, over the next three or four days, I'm going to try to paint up my Redemptor Dreadnought. And if I do that, I'm going to be cruising with a, a tanky dude and I'll have a cool 500 points to actually bring to the table. And I kind of figured out exactly how the game is played, which is a little bit of a hardship. So I'm proud of you. Is it? Is it? Uh, so the first time that we played, was that your first game? Oh, when we played Kill Team? Yeah. 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 So, so, so I have never played. That's the only game yeah. that I've played. And so Kill Team is a skirmishy thing where you're playing with somewhere in the neighborhood of like five to 12 dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a small, actually, the the table size for what we did for Kill Team is the same size that you would do for a 500 point uh, Warhammer game, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, only with this, with Warhammer, you're using like lots of units, and so within a unit, you might have like five dudes that are in an infantry unit, or three, you know chicks on speeder bikes that are a, a, a fast attack unit or mm-hmm. this or that. Like you're working with groups of models. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it is, it's army stuff, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to like this skirmish one-on-one skirmishy kind of thing. Yeah. But the game is very, but different. the rules are, uh, so the rules are, are totally different. Nope. Yeah, yeah. The rules are different. Okay. Yep. The way um, the game is played. There's, I mean, the mechanics so does the are Zerg, st- the Zerg rush that we were doing to each other. Doesn't that, that doesn't help. I mean, that kind of stuff would, ha- would help. Like those things, there's there are analogs. Everything's using D six. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still might like you're not necessarily wanting to go and like annihilate the other person on the other side of the table. Oftentimes you're wanting to hold objectives or like move, do certain things Ca- like capture the flag, or yeah, area control or something yeah. Like that. There's the, all of that holds, but the mechanics of the game uh, are far more imbalanced in in, in Warhammer. Because there's so many different factions you can play. Like, Kill Team is a much finer-tuned, strategically better game. But Warhammer just offers you all the flavor and the fluff. Yeah. To, like, have lots of lots of army dudes out on the page. Or out on the, out on the mat. Anyway. But the guy that I played against, he actually had, I mean, around 600 bucks worth of uh, Primaris Space Marine stuff. That he was willing to part with for 140 bucks. Wow. So, yeah, I kind of got out like a bandit. Yeah. Uh, a good deal. So, with the two combat boxes that I've purchased, plus that, I mean, I have actually been able to get like what would be 
2,000 points. Now, is it going to be the best 2,000 points? Am I going to be min-maxing and, and being a boss on the table? Nah. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, but it's at least uh, the raw material. I can hear your next podcast formulating in your head. The Warhammer? <clears throat> yeah. No. Anyway, that's that's Warhammer talk with Luke. It's fun. <laughs> I will have updates about how the Wayward Sons continue to get spanked around on the table <laughs> in future weeks, but I'll give it a couple weeks before I uh, return with another with another missive. You know, update. <laughs> yeah, a missive. <laughs> a missive from the uh, from uh, Star Date. I don't even know. 40k yeah 40 2024 <laughs> anyway that's it uh josh what's your one thing sorry dude mine, I took no it's forever. fine mine is star wars nice uh so ashley and i've been watching andor which every time i say i feel like i'm not saying his name right because i hear the slash in it like and or <laughs> um but it's it's real good i like it a lot and every time I watch one of these, it one of these Disney like you know non Skywalker series, I want to play a Star Wars RPG, or I want to play a Star Wars video game or something. And on the uh, the Xbox um, store, the marketplace, they had a bunch of Star Wars like EA Star Wars games on sale, and so I picked up uh, Battlefront, Battlefront Two. And um, Fall Jedi Fallen Order. So oh, these cool. these three games they were six dollars a piece. And wow. so yeah, so so I nabbed them all up, and then I played uh, several uh, different matches in Battlefront One, uh, which is a lot of fun. And he's been tearing that up for man, the past like few months. He uh, loves that game. It's so good. Uh, the the level I've I've enjoyed the most is uh, you're you're on Tatooine. You're in an uh, an X wing. And you are uh, like just flying through Beggar's Canyon, and uh, uh, some Tie Fighters show up, and you gotta you gotta kill all the Tie Fighters, and they come in they come in waves, and um, every time like it's a training mission, okay. So it, it it's pretty easy to do, I think, once you get the hang of it. It's it's supposed to teach you the the mechanics of the game, right? It's it's so much fun, um, and you can be anybody. I don't know. I oh, haven't okay. unlocked. I think there's a lot of stuff you can unlock. Okay. And as of right now, I've got a couple of training levels and then I've got um, indoor. So the like, you know, you're trying to take the shield generator down from Return of the Jedi. Um, and there's a couple of others, a couple of other levels that I have not played yet. But I'm just having a lot of fun playing video games in the Star Wars universe. And literally every time I watch one of these Disney shows, right. like uh, a few years ago, I got the the first edition West End Games uh, Star Wars like anniversary box set for Christmas from Ashley. And I really want to play a Star Wars RPG uh, set somewhere out on the Outer Rim on some dirty old ore mining world. Um, and everyone is, is just beat to death by the empire yeah. or, uh, maybe the player characters are Imperials themselves, like jaded Imperials. I, I don't cool. know. Tired of being stuck out here trying to, maybe they want to make just some trying money. To keep like, the peace. All I, they want to do is just get done so I they can get back in a year. Preserve order. Yeah. But maybe, maybe they don't want to preserve order anymore. Maybe they just want some credits. Maybe they want to go to Jabba's Palace and, and like spend some credits. They're up for whatever. Can our, they are down. Can our Cthulhu characters wake up at the end of that and 
suddenly be in outer space and it's all a dream. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, whenever we, whenever we collectively get tired of playing the Cthulhu stuff, yeah. um, and if no one else wants to run anything, I've got several Star Wars games in mind. So that does sound fun. Yeah the the thing, man, that I like about the Battlefront games is that it's a mix of like uh, vehicle, like those types of fights, mm-hmm. and then the 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 sort of tactical like first it's not first person it's like over the shoulder right it's like the third person you can uh, like, i think there's a button you can press and then you're in first person mode but it's like that you know you're playing boots on the ground halo or over the shoulder style or you're flying an x-wing mm-hmm. i love that like it, it's it's really like all the good stuff that you want to do uh in a in, in a button smashing star wars game and there there are so many star wars tabletop games that i want to get into but in order for me to get into them i have to drag one of you into them too <laughs> oh really <laughs> and they, yeah and they're expensive right like the x-wing like, tabletop game oh yeah, no dude like, i yeah that's that's a well it's dangerous right and you're already in <laughs> in warhammer right. so i've got to like drag no. john into uh playing next week because it's all like multi-level <laughs> no, marketing no it is i i would i would totally I would totally do some X-Wing. I would have to paint them up and it would be tight. Oh, it's like painting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's uh, uh, analogous in some ways, I think, to the the nature of Warhammer where you buy your, your um, you know, your TIE Interceptor, your TIE Bomber, or, right. or, you know, your Star Destroyer or whatever, and you paint it and, and then you pay X amount of points to field it. And then gotcha. you have your skirmish, or you have the the scenario objective, or or whatever. Yep. And they're all on the table, and uh-huh. you're moving around, and you've yeah, got your star cool. map, like yeah. yeah. Are there little Yodas that you paint and stuff too? Or? No, so they're all but, up in the airplanes, right? But gotcha. there are Star Wars like um um like ta- tactical uh squadron yeah. boots on the ground games also. Well, games Workshop has a. a Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. They like that's the other thing. So I listened to the uh, uh, what is it like buried by plastic or destroyed by plastic or whatever. It's Miniac and uh, and uh, Ninjon, uh their podcast, <laughs> and one of them is really into uh, Song of Ice and Fire, and it's a Games Workshop game. It's it's Jesus. It's you know it's that world only only tabletop gaming it would be so much fun like the mm-hmm. last episode they were talking about painting up a Greyjoy army about like you've got these drowned men and like i don't know it would be so much fun but there's only so much time and, and money, effort yeah, yeah. <laughs> and money yes <laughs> to get all these to do with these things so, and paint and paint yeah <laughs> so alas you know for uh all all the uh the games that we'll never get to play but <laughs> We're gonna play. We're gonna play some Star Wars RPGs, though, for sure. For sure, yeah. We're gonna play West End Games First Edition D six Star Wars at some point. I love it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Down to clown, John. Uh, I will round us out uh, with a quick touch on my uh, comic reading habits lately. Uh, I'm trying to mow through some more of my backlog. I realize I've been collecting mostly the last two or three years instead of reading. Mm. I don't. That's not good. You gotta gotta break that habit. So. Uh, I picked one of my big chunks that I've been meaning to read, the Superman Batman series no, okay, from yeah. 2003, uh, which also makes me feel incredibly old. They're 20-year-old comics. How was that published? Was It was, I mean, it's DC, but yeah. was it just straight DC or mm-hmm. was there like an imprint? 
No, they, okay. they had a cool logo for it. Yeah. Was, yeah. Superman's symbol and then Batman's wings. Yeah. Off but it the was side. it was kind of rebooty, like the Ultimates or like Ultimate Spider Man, right? It Wasn't was, it like a little bit of that kind it, of Oh, playing? you're thinking of All Star Superman and All Star Batman. Those were supposed to be sort of ultimately. This well, is. Oh, I was thinking about this. Yeah. No, I was thinking like, about. This is it, it is a non continuity. Like it's it feels like it's its own it, thing, right? They bring in what they want to have from the the main like DC the, line. Yeah, the first storyline isn't it Lex? Yeah, Lex in, is in a battle suit and he's lost his mind. Yeah, he's president and he's ODing on Kryptonite. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he is like basically setting the U.S. government against Superman. I've read that. Uh, okay, yeah. Yep. So yeah, I think I have those. I, I may have yep. let you. Yeah. I may have yep. let you borrow those yep. around the same time. Early on, you gave it's, me that and like and Sinister the, the Six. Sinister Six. Yep. Yeah, yep. they're they're very similar. Like a lot of parallels. This yeah. is like peak Ed McGinnis era Superman muscle yeah. era. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, 20 years ago, though, that, that, like, <laughs> right. oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the advertisements and these floppies that I have, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what we used to look like in high school. Yeah. <laughs> like all of the Jinko jeans and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Axe body spray. Axe, a lot of axe, a lot of axe body spray. Yeah. A yeah. uh, lot of don't do drugs where the slugs are snorting salt ads. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that ad. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, corn chips gone wrong. That's another one that keeps popping up. Corn chips gone wrong. Yeah. But I'm, I wanted to talk about the comics, not the ads. Okay. <laughs> Proceed. Uh, yeah. I'm, my, my brain is yelling at me. Uh, my reason that I like this book is that I like it when Batman and Superman are friends and they're friends in most of this. They don't really fight. Uh, go ahead. No. What? Go. Okay. No, I want to no, hear I, it. I, you no, got wait, excited. Go. Keep going. Okay. Uh, they're friends. They hang out a lot. Um, they clearly have kind of a friendly rivalry. Uh, there are weird stories that have popped up. There was one that I just went through where um, Lex somehow finds a planet that hates Superman. Like he accidentally knocked down their temple. And so he's like from Earth trying to encourage their hatred of Superman uh, and sending them relics. And he wants to be their god. Some some kind of out of there, out in the weirdness kind of stuff. But I, I dig it. I've got about 10 issues left before I'm done. I desperately need to know what you're excited about. The Toy Man. Uh, oh, yeah. In, in Batman Superman. Like that Toy Man. He's like, cool. Hero. He's great. Yes. Uh, he's a 13-year-old he Japanese boy. Yes. Yes. And he builds composite Batman Superman mecha. So that they can fight in space. It's great. <laughs> that is that's the other thing that I remember from that yes. that series was the that is uh, just about as comic booky as you can get. <laughs> yep. So I, I love the aesthetic of it from what I remember. I mean, this really was when Josh gave me like a stack of rando floppy comic books, right? Uh, and I thought, oh, I can actually follow the the narrative of this. I don't need. I mean, I quickly. This was at the time of like when Civil War was just kicking off, right? And so I I realized early on, like, oh, I don't have to follow any narrative here, but this other thing is going to slurp away all of my narrative. Like, it's all going to be right. this thing that you it's all consuming, whereas uh, the ultimate universe or the Superman versus Batman, like all of that is just so easily yes, digestible. It's, it's standalone. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to buy three or four or five or six books. Every month, just to get the core storyline. Yeah, from it. it's it's a it's a fun story. They're like six part. Are they are they yeah, all kind of like trade paperback yeah, model? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of three or six uh, sog- issue sagas, and uh, there's one where like the Legion's supervillains go back in time and adopt Batman and Superman, 
and turn them into <laughs> world dictators. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, uh, I didn't read that. Yeah. One. It is silly. Yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of silliness, but it's also it's a lot of fun, and it's very comic booky. And like you said, it's not like I don't need to be buying twelve books. I can just yeah. get jump in, jump out. So. I feel like that book went on hold. I feel like they did like twelve issues, like a year's worth, and then it went on hold. It's for a little bit, and then it kept going. Yeah, it, and, I, and I think that's why I jumped off of it. Like I was shocked; it lasted eighty-seven issues. Yeah, yeah. A long so time. Uh, I've got them all. I'm mowing through them. I think I got. You've got them all on floppies. Yeah, I'm about. I got ten left, <laughs> dude. Good but for it's you. Not, but it's not all Ed McGinnis and. Um, no, yeah, it, it's a different creative team. Yeah, right. The Ed McGinnis and Jeff Loeb did the first twelve issues. That's there that, about maybe mm-hmm. that's it. And yeah. then I think it goes on. There was like a hi- hiatus. I remember. Yeah, like it wasn't showing up in my box, and I was just like, "Well, this is." cancel all these loose ends and that was one that i canceled jeff Loeb is pretty notorious for that for yeah 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 his, his stuff is great though like always uh read comic books play games and get into star wars rpg star wars it's yeah a, just star wars just star wars <laughs> all the time yeah. those are our one things I, I think about star wars all the time it's hard not to <laughs> it's hard not to when you always watch a cool be star wars, star wars yeah, always <laughs> i agree with you though like when you see those the good episodes of those shows it really does like Get your juices flowing. You want to tell those stories and read those stories. Like, man, so this is no spoiler, I guess. It might be. If you haven't watched Obi-Wan, don't listen. (laughs) Come back in two minutes. Skip ahead. Skip ahead two minutes. There's there's a part in Obi-Wan where uh, Obi-Wan fights Darth Vader. And uh, Vader's suit gets just all jacked up. Like, Obi-Wan kicks his ass. And... um, Obi-Wan has said something to him, like apologizing, like, I'm sorry that I've, I've done this to you. And uh, Hayden Christensen is inside the suit and the voice modulator is messing up. And he says, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And it's the coolest thing. <laughs> like, it, it still sends chills down my down my arms. Like, I just I, I love it. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No. I like talking about cool stuff. Man, I just like liking things. <laughs> okay. Let's not talk about Star Wars anymore. Let's talk about The Frost Giant's Daughter. Another cool thing to talk about. Uh, do you have some publication history for us there, Luke? Uh, let's see. So, according to my notes from a while back, it was turned down from Weird Tales and was originally printed starring a character termed Amra from Ogbaton. And it was published in the That's Fantasy rough. Fan in 1934. So, recalling our last recording, this was one of those stories that Howard wrote in quick succession after Farnsworth said, "Hey, this is good stuff. Give me, give me more like the Conan." Right? Mm-hmm. Is that right, Josh? That's right. Um, he wrote um, uh, the. He submitted the Phoenix on the Sword. Then Farnsworth kicked it back, said, here's a few edits, change this, make the mm-hmm. intro a little bit more exciting. I like this. You know, send me more if you got them. And he quickly set about writing, as we said earlier in the episode, uh, the the God in the Bowl and the Frost Giant's Daughter. Right. Sent them both to Farnsworth. They both got rejected. And yeah. so that's, that's where, yeah. Uh, we're lucky that Howard still was pretty psyched about this character, Conan. Yeah. Um, after that, so <laughs> and so this story. The other thing that I have written here is that uh, the original text, which we're reading here in the Del Rey across the three of us, was published in 1976 in uh, Grant's Rogues in the House collection. Okay. So, so that's where you get the the pure 
the pure sort of version of it as opposed to the the dilution slash retailering for fantasy fan that happened you know so in 34 donald m grant that's that guy. yep yeah, yeah okay. right right yep sorry yeah yep. um and so it also the oh i okay i was mistaken then i thought that uh elsprague was responsible for for getting this out there uh so admittedly i didn't check these factoids the the stuff i'm reading from here is from my notes from a decade ago yeah so no, no. i didn't i didn't check any of that <laughs> uh that's just what i have here as far as like the the attribution stuff for at that point. yeah it just it just seems like if there was a conan thing that he would have like put it in a book right like spriggy that seems spriggy yeah <laughs> sprig would have been ah let's get this this here conan story out here in one of these books see <laughs> is that what he sounded like absolutely no man He's more Christopher Lee, right? Let's let us yes. let us gather and discuss the gods of the north. Yes. You got it, boss. <laughs> you got it, boss. Uh the Frost Giant's daughter is kind of a in and out, right? Like it's not a very long story. It's quick. It's, it's a, like it's six pages in this Del Rey, right? Yeah. So, okay. Real quick, before oh, before sorry. we before we rec- like I'm doing my homework here now. I can't imagine that this is Let's do it different. Live. Uh so, according to what I'm reading here, uh, the earlier version of the story was published in The Coming of Conan in 1953, in okay. Conan of Samaria by Lancer in 1969. Okay. The last version, as left by Howard before his death, was first published in 76 by Donald M. Grant okay. in an edition of Rogues in the House. And that's this what version has been most 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 recently republished in the Del Rey. Got so it. what okay. we read here is what came out in the Rogues in the House collection. And the previous ones were the probably closer to the version that was in the Fantasy Fan in 1934. Correct, Amundo. Yeah. And they were part of like uh, Conan of Samaria is one of the. Decampion. It's the one that has the actual like. Oh, okay, that's star. on the cover. Yeah, like the, the classic Frazetta kind of kind of picture. Yeah, not uh, dude on a polar bear, but, but like the, fighting, <laughs> fighting. You know, yeah, Conan busting up heads out in the ice. Yeah, <laughs> the dude on the polar bear. Right, like that's what Pol- it is. Polar bear skis. I wish that's what I was Slitch. known as. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you wish you were uh, Frank Frazetta painting kind of sometimes that'd be easier don't you sometimes think? i look at you and i think john just walked out of a frazetta painting no okay. man you gotta you gotta eat a little bit more get a little bit more fats and get those little butt cheeks to go uh-huh. right they gotta get the gotta clap, clap on my butt that's, right. <laughs> that's what frazetta love big butts dude it, i cannot lie i cannot stress this enough <laughs> Good. i mean just like george washington <laughs> true um <laughs> If I know, if I know my history, the, he he didn't lie. I don't know about the butt thing. Oh, I know. Okay. No, so, okay. no. Sorry. If <laughs> I know one thing, Frazetta like yeah. butts. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> he was a butt man. I mean, <laughs> you might go as far as to say he was a, a boob man too. Yeah, you might. He was just a man. He was. He's. If one he, were so inclined, he appreciated the artistic beauty of human of, form. Of human form, yeah, because. Uh, all people had nice boot- booties. Okay, 
I guess I'll have to pay closer attention to this when I look at his drawings next time. Yeah, check out those barbarian butts, dude. <laughs> I'll right. sit, I'll text you. Let me put it in my phone. They're notes. righteous. <laughs> I'll snap you, bro. Re Re <laughs> Luke says. Uh, so when we talk about the Frost Giant's daughter, it's a quick story. Uh, like the bare bones sort of outline would be that Conan is in the northern wastes. He is young, seemingly like fresh out of Samaria. He has uh, joined up with a team of a seer, another race in the realm. They have fought some veneer. Uh, the battle didn't go well for Conan's team. He's the only one left, and he is struck by this apparition. And I really like this story. Uh, I have strong feelings about this story that aren't all positive, but there's something about like the otherworldly mythic quality that really hits me in a spot that I want for some reason. In, in your myth spot? Yeah, in my myth spot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, uh, deep down in my myth spot. What do you guys feel about this story? Like, uh, Luke, you kind of raised some criticism points at the start. You said you had some some notes. Some misgivings, maybe? Uh, I mean, so this is a story that over the years has been targeted with some some criticism for... You know the rapiness, the the rapey bits of it. Yes, yes. that's the hard part. It's uh, hard to love this story because, yeah, I mean it's it a is, rape story. It's hard to to embrace that. I don't. That's not even necessarily like it's, it's just hard to reconcile yeah. or work with it. But big capital B U T, and I'm not talking about Frazetta but <laughs> I'm talking about B U T minus the extra T. No, you brought the series. A time. big B U T. Uh, there's uncomfortable rapey bits in a lot of big mythology. Yes. And that is what Howard's tapping into. Now, is the story awesome? I don't necessarily think so. I think it's really good. And I do think it evokes a lot of strong, uh, uh, feelings and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tightly told story, but I don't think it's necessarily, uh great like narratively it's not doing anything special it's just repackaging a thing like to recall what josh said earlier on bullfinch's mythology and whatnot which we'll get into so rape is a a thing that happens in a lot of different myths and uncomfortable sex and violence is a thing that happens in a lot of myths and that's what Howard was tapping into in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in, in we I, I don't remember if we said this on mic or before we started recording, but this this definitely feels like a Greek myth with with like a Norse paint job, yeah. right? Even down to the S year in Vanier. Like tell us the Norse analog to that. So that's their names. I mean, like Conan if if you want to buy into it like he's hanging out with the people that would become the Nordic gods uh, from Hyperborea. The Aesir. Yeah, right? the Aesir and the Vanir. Uh, they're competing deities within the Norse mythology. There's a war, the Aesir-Vanir war, and then the Aesir win, and the Vanir are incorporated into the pantheon. Who would be examples of the Vanir that we would know? So, Freya, actually. Freya. Yeah, um, Odin's wife. Uh, Idun, maybe? That sounds right, and like, uh, it, it feels like the more agrarian ones. Briga, I think, is another example. Okay. Yeah, uh, there there were several that were pulled in. I actually brought a book of Nordic myth stuff. 
if we wanted to dive into any of it. But yeah, uh, it's cool. It is. It, uh, it's a handy little like translation and kind of quick jaunt through some of this stuff. Uh, I brought it mostly to talk about Ymir because I think that Ymir is an interesting character that pops up in this story. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at Norse myth, like his actual role as the world, uh, where Odin hollows him out and turns him into the universe, uh, I find to be interesting. Is, does he turn him into the universe or turn him into the world? Turn him into the world. But like his blood becomes the ocean. The ocean and the and rivers. His skull is the sky. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the universe to them, I guess, was what I was thinking. But you're right. It is just the world, really. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yes, Conan is essentially hanging out with the Norse gods uh, before they're the Norse gods, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So, so Howard is kind of slyly adding his character into this like uh, major event in Norse mythology. So which is pretty neat. I agree. That is super cool. The thing that I don't like about this story on the, the line that we're talking about here though, is that there's like statements of I'm Conan of Samaria. I'm from Samaria. I have dark hair and I'm not blonde or nor am I redheaded. Right. And that's about as far as it goes. As opposed to the Phoenix on the Sword, which has so much weird, like world building and weirdness wired into it, this is just tapping into classic mythology and dropping in this dude named Conan of Samaria. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 my criticism here is that it's it's too simplistic and doesn't have enough that like we get we do get the statement that. Conan is from the south and he's right. he's bandying about with these 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 northerners. These northerners. They're even more northern than he is, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. And all we get is like, you're from the south and you have dark hair. There's not enough to paint the picture of the world the way that we get it with I mean, the the Phoenix on the Sword is a much longer story. Right. But still with the economy of style and and prose that that Howard exercises in that story, there could have been three sentences that would have added more to ground this story actually within the Conan mythology, and I think it would have been a more enduring thing and would have been a an easier sell. Yeah, to Farnsworth, I I don't know. I think that's a really interesting thing because the biggest criticisms I found of this story, just like googling around and reading other people's reviews from like. 2012 to 2019 ish uh, that's the big one that i kept seeing was like there's no world building in this and everybody seems to be comparing it to phoenix on the sword i don't know if they're all reading the del rey version so it's just sequentially uh-huh. going to be compared to that and that one does have maps and i mean the whole history of everything and and there's an, an ensconcing and like lovecraftian right setting mm-hmm. and there's just there's dark uh, like uh, what's the word for Blavatsky? Like oh, uh, uh theosophy. The- there's like theosophy. There's uh his own headspace. There's all of these things mixing up, and here it's just like Norse myth overpainting the veneer on top of uh Greek myth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's talk about the the Greek myth that this kind of uh resembles okay. and and so patrice lunay 
talks about in uh, Hyborian Genesis, the essay at the end of, of this uh, Del Rey collection, uh, that Howard had access to uh, Bullfinch's mythology and maybe some other Greek myth collections as well. And last time when I was talking about this, I mistakenly said uh, the myth of Apollo and uh, Aphrodite, when in reality it's uh, Apollo and Daphne. Daphne is a water spirit, a naiad, and um, due to circumstances that I'm not 100% sure of from the, the story, Cupid shoots Apollo with his love bow, right? Making... <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> Uh, making uh, Apollo fall in love with the first person that he sees happens to be Daphne. And then uh, Cupid hits her with the anti-love, like the, you know, get away from me. Ooh, Ricky, you've got cooties. Um, (laughs) The cooties era. The cooties era. And uh, Apollo pursues her. She runs away. Um, There are a couple of different variations of this myth. One is that she is a, maybe a, a follower of Athena, okay. I think, and that uh, she needs to remain a virgin. She wants to re- retain her vir- virginity and, and remain uh, pure so that she can be in the goddess's graces. The other story is that um, she is just so repulsed by Cupid's arrow that um, she just finds Apollo completely repulsive. Either way, she begs her father, who is a, a, a river spirit or some river god, to rescue her. And uh, Apollo just keeps coming, just keeps coming on. He finally gets her, and uh, her father transforms her into a tree, a laurel, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Apollo never recovers from this, and he ultimately wears a, a crown of laurel as his symbol because of his undying love for this uh, naiad that he could never have. There's so, even a creepy bit at the end where he hugs her as the transformation as the tree, yeah, yeah, at, finalizes, and he hears yeah. her final heartbeat, and he whispers, uh, if you can't be my wife, I will honor you for forever. Yeah. And, and he starts to wear laurel stuff and after so, that. In so art- this, is, this is awkward. Yeah. This is awkward because it's, it is bittersweet and love, but also this. Yeah, like it's, fal- this, it's this, false love. This, like he's crazed for yeah. sure. It, yeah, it's it's really Cupid hits him with the lust arrow, right? Um, the other thing that I think is interesting here is that um, she, as she transforms into the tree, like that subject alone is um, captured in various paintings, various uh, artistic renderings. And some of them are pretty horrifying like to, to look at. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of artistic renderings of this pursuit of... There we go. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's a sculpture of it. This is in Rome. I got to see it when I went there. Cool. It's, uh, in this really neat museum. And yeah, it's, oh, wow. it is, it's like the creepiest statue I've ever seen because... You know how they do it with marble. Like you can see his depress, his fingers depressing her flesh. Yeah, like carved into the marble. Uh-huh. But then she's also going through this body horror transformation. Like her hair is turning into leaves, right? And her feet have branch or roots, yeah. tendrils shooting out of them. So it's it's creepy. Like it's Cronenbergian looking, but also 
captivating like you can't look away from it just like apollo probably felt in the moment <laughs> now in in terms of apollo conan is our analog right right for that character and there's no outside force that we can see acting upon him other than atali right like atali the frost giant's daughter appears to him and says oh man am i not beautiful wouldn't you like to chase me across the snow, right. basically. She and has ensorcelled him, sort of, right? It seems like, that right? way. Yeah. And I, I guess there's ways that you can read it and go, well, if if you're blaming her for, the, like, that's that's the right. whole, like, you're blaming, wh- where, do you, where do you place the blame here? Which I think makes it a hard story to really love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because do you place the blame on Conan because he has seen this beautiful woman and now he is just madly uh, uh, in lust and will stop at nothing to have her. Right. Or is he being ensorcelled and um, led to his death? You know, on one hand, Atali has the agency. On the other hand, Conan has the agency and you can read it either way. Yes. I think that I fall more into the camp of by the end, Conan is in his own head space and is making a choice. Okay. Uh, and a, it's very uncomfortable to read. Like she conned him into the wastes, but at a certain point, I think he snaps and it's just like, I'm going to get you. Like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. make you pay. Yes. I, I don't care what you think is happening. Like I'm going to get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's deeply, deeply unsettling. Uh, it's hard to read. It's, it's, it's just very uncomfortable. Yeah. He crushes her yeah. with his arms. He bruises her with his kisses, right? Yeah. Like, he does He does violence to yes. her uh, through his lust. Um, and this is after he has dispatched her two giant brothers. Yes. Yeah, no, this is this is vengeance. This is retribution. This is... And he doesn't even know mad. why. Like, he's just... He's just pissed. Yeah, he's just yeah. mad. And he's going to take it out on, a, on this woman, which I, seems... I like these- I like you said mad and not angry. No, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Because I think it's a madness. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's plum mad. Like mad. <laughs> that old gun plum mad. Yeah. Uh, I did want to mention the other myth that I think is it Patrice talks about Atalanta and the foot race or is that some other people that have pointed out the connection? There's another Greek myth where a woman is a like a woods woman. Okay. She's a huntress. Uh, Atalanta uh, and sort of the same name, Atala, uh, Atali. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some connection there. Uh, her dad turns out to be the king of the area. Like she didn't know it. Uh, and he says, well, now I have to marry you off. And she gives the stipulation that she'll only marry somebody that catches her in a foot race. Oh, this, this rings a bell. I, and, I don't remember this outright, but this is like ancestral right, knowledge right. <laughs> somewhere back in the Greek loop, the back of my back brain. Of day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I, she also says, like, if they don't catch me, or if I can catch them in the race, because she gives them head starts. Like, she's so good. Right. She's like, no, they can go first, and then she catches them, and if they lose, they die. And, like, hundreds of dudes go through this and die, and then there's this guy, uh, Hippomenes, okay. who he is in love with her, he really wants to marry her, he prays to Aphrodite, and she doesn't like uh, Atal- Atalanta or Atalanta mm-hmm. because she's a, a devotee of Artemis and so she gives him three golden apples and as he's running he pitches these apples into the woods and she 
you you can't like not eat these apples. They're so good. Yeah. So she did honey crisps. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't throw that honey crisp away. It was like it, a five dollar apple. Yeah, but it was on sale. Oh, two ninety nine. Yeah, two ninety nine. <laughs> uh, but so, they didn't know that. Right. No, it's not bruised or anything. So she veers off into the woods and and eats these three apples and loses and then marries him and either she is happy about it like she's pleased and then they forget to give thanks to Aphrodite and so she turns them into lions and some Greek scholars think that Greek people thought lions couldn't mate with one another and so this was like a curse that they could never consummate their marriage they thought that lions could only mate with leopards uh yes I I don't know dude <laughs> Old Wild. old myth and sex is weird, yeah. man. That, that's all that all. But there was a newer scholar that says that's not true, and that it it's more of a that Aphrodite was was awarding them this that now they get to hunt and be in the woods together, and, and all they do all they do is hunt and yeah. have and sweet sweet lion sex, yeah. right? Lion, lion King sex. style stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're gonna play here in a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then and another <laughs> another version. Don't, don't use that song. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't Disney will get that. us. No. Uh, in another version, she may have a kid with uh, Aries. Was another thing that I okay. read through. So, uh, myth. Who knows, right? Uh, but it seems like that also does have some connection here. The foot race part. Yeah. And the name. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Who's pursuing who? Right. Yeah. So that's the stuff that I like about this story. I really do like this mythological angle. I like seeing that Howard loved myth so much. And there is something about seeing Conan like in and amongst frost giants and uh-huh. all this Norse stuff that really, for some reason, I, I love it. But I I wouldn't be able to recommend this story to no, people. I have to say, like this story uh, coming in right now with my, my reading, it's more like a... I don't want to say it's fanfic. It's it's a story that doesn't nestle well within the larger Howard Conan mythology. And from because of that, it just it's it's a short story. It's it's spare in its intent and what it's a what it's like its message. And I don't know. I don't want to say it's unimportant, but I think that it's important because of uh, the the what's the the over or the ouvoir. Right. Like I, I think it's important because of the entire Conan ouvoir. <laughs> if you know the the long history of things, but if you're wanting to read Conan stories, I honestly do think that you can skip over the Frost Giant's daughter. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I like the story a lot, but. I I agree that I would not put this in a top five or even a top ten list for somebody who's like, what Conan story should I read? Um, and I, I, I don't want to skip over, like, I want you to talk about Ymir in a second. Oh, right. And, and this might segue into that. Uh, there's a sick burn. If if we want to talk about, like, our favorite writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, like, there's a sick burn on the first page. Conan, Conan just obliterates this guy. Ready? Yes. Okay, the other guy. Man, said he, tell me your name so that my brothers in Vanaheim may know who was the last of Wolfhear's band to fall before the sword of Heimdall. Not in Vanaheim, growled the black-haired warrior, but in Valhalla will you tell your brothers that you met Conan of Samaria. That is a sick burn. 
Yeah. <laughs> you're going to, Valkyrie's going to come pick you up and you're dead. Yep. Yep. Uh, I love it. There's going to be two sounds. Me pulling my sword, you hitting the ice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this fight, there's going to be two hits in this fight. <laughs> I'm going to hit you and you're going to hit the <laughs> And he nails him. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah there's no chance. Yep. Uh, is In the uh, comic, is this... Do do is this the sick, uh, like double page spread decapitation? In the Marvel in, in, version, no, no, no. In the Dark Horse, in the Dark Horse, yeah. Version? I think that's right. Let's check. No, he gets him through the chest. Okay, all right. I was yeah. thinking of something else then. Yeah, yeah. He does get him through the chest. I love it. I love <laughs> that this is Heimdall, right? Yeah. So uh, putting another Norse myth yeah. in there, um, and I love that he's just like, yeah, you're you're dead. You can't, you're not going to tell any of your brothers who are alive about this. I mean, but he gets to tell him in Valhalla. Valhalla. Yeah. Well, I mean, Conan is, he knows about the right. culture of other, other men. Yes. Other races or other peoples. And he, he picks up their stuff. He swears by Ymir during the story. He does swear by Ymir. Uh, I, I don't want to go too much into detail. Ymir is to me interesting that. He's a living god, seemingly, to these people. When, if Howard's read Bullfinch and was acquainted with Norse myth, he's the first thing that dies in Norse myth uh, and is, like, turned into the world, as we mentioned before. So, there's a cow. Yes. Uh, there. So, Ymir's body is at the, at the boundary waters between, like, Muspelheim, where the fire comes from, and mm. then Niflheim, where the cold that's, comes that's from. Cold, yeah. So, there's this spot where they meet. And they swirl and they create this like smoky haze. And in this spot, salt accumulates and this yeast accumulates and it all starts to filter down. And eventually it just like the soup of life or whatever, the, the primordial ooze that we all come from, Ymir is formed in it. Okay. And then Ymir is sleeping there like he's not really awake. And from his armpit and loins spring forth humans and things okay so like two people come from his armpit and then his loins touch each other and more life comes from that and then a cow enters from like stage left uh, yeah. a mystical cow, <laughs> there, was a cow. <laughs> there was a okay. cow yeah there was a Don't cow ask about where the cow came from with there's bul- a cow now bulbous udders yeah and the cow loves the salt that is here and so the the cow starts licking everything and it licks enough of the ice that the first people uh, or the first god can emerge Right. Uh, and I, that's Boar, if I remember correctly. Boar. And then Boar finds a giantess that he marries, uh-huh. and then they have kids, and eventually we get Odin and his siblings. Um, who, who are his siblings? Like Fee and V, something like Fee, Fee, Fee and V, yeah, Phil something like and that. Bill, something like Philly that. and Villy. <laughs> oh, those, those are dwarves from The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Question. Is any of this in Neil Gaiman's like a? Uh, I think he's got think, some yeah the first yeah. chapter yeah okay. I think is this yeah, which is real good like I that was a that was a one thing of mine from like mm-hmm. way back and I've gone back to that book a few times right it's, it's so good I love reading that I I have the comics that he adapted of it too oh cool uh, I can't find this story that I was looking for where the world is created oh that's okay uh, I think you told it pretty well. So yeah, but the cow does get involved, and somehow <laughs> with all the uh, sutters, Robert yes. Robert E. Howard's cow, yes, <laughs> the uh, Bobby Derry wrote about. Right. <laughs> uh, the cow slaked her own hunger by licking salt from some stones. The warmth of her tongue melted the frost, and on the first evening, a man's hair emerged from it. On the second day, this was followed by a head, 
And on the third day, a complete man stepped out, handsome and powerful. His name was Burry. He begot a son called Bor, who married the giantess Bestla. They had three sons. One was Vili, one was V, and the eldest of the three was Odin. Odin. And Odin. Oh, shit. I mean, he's got a different name. Yeah. Odin does not like Ymir. Odin hates Ymir. He hates his dad. His grandpa. Great grandfather. His, like, primordial ooze grandpa. There's some some issues there, though. Yes. So he attacks him, violently stabbing him to death. So much blood flowed from Ymir's wounds that most of the other giants drowned in it. One managed to float away on a box with his wife and settle in the frozen lands. A box? All the other giants and giants. Like an Ikea box, maybe? Yes, probably. probably. (laughs) With the meatballs. Yeah. Uh, Odin and his brothers dragged Ymir's corpse to the middle of the void and chopped him into pieces. From his flesh, they crafted the earth. From his skull, they created the sky. Jesus! From his blood, they made the sea and the lakes. From his bones, they raised the mountains. And his teeth, they crumbled into stones and scree. Mmm. All this time, the earth was floating like a feather, so Odin circled it with the ocean to keep it steady. Then he and his brothers created four dwarves called East, West, North, and South, setting them to hold the sky in place over the world. So in all directions. Yes. Okay. And I guess that's going to happen after this. So wait, so, <laughs> yeah. so we've got... Uh, so Ymir is is grandpa. I know right. I, I'm, I made the remark of right. like Odin's dad. Gotta kill your dad. It's, it's, a high, it's a level higher than that. Yep. I, and it, it, I, I don't know that they would like trace their lineage to yeah, Ymir proudly. Yeah. That's what I'm trying Probably to think. Yeah. Like, because in in you know in Greek myth you get this, but it's not as obvious. I think in Norse myth you get a lot of like here's where we conquered somebody and we co opted their traditions, right? Right, and so maybe where these. Uh, uh, Saxon people who worship Wotan, and we we hear about from from our conquering this weird frost giant mythology, and like, nah, that's we we kill him. Well, and interestingly, that's what some people from my wanderings on the internet before the show. Some people believe that's the veneer Asir war, right? Like yeah. that, it's actually a story of these peoples intermixing after a war oh, okay and like reconciling yeah, yeah, like, okay we got to merge our religions here mm-hmm. uh which would be kind of cool this is the stuff that i like this story for like because i i would love to have had this conversation with howard to be like dude like let's nerd out like, about like, where mythology. did you get this uh, yeah. from yeah yeah like let's talk about the po- poetic ego all right like uh but it is still it's a it's an uncomfortable story for sure uh, i think that we've I mean, hammered it, that home it is but again it's written in this mythic fashion right and i don't want to tamp down or like like reduce any any of the you know the flags that people may get reading it but no yeah it's written in a fashion though that makes it seem to me with my perspective as mythic and i don't want to say forgivable but i understand the the style like it's it's not that far removed from bullfinch's mythology or uh reading beowulf or reading like the old testament like you read some messed up stuff mm-hmm. in any number of old texts but it's told in such a fashion that it's that it's weird but 
it primally kind of you can understand it. Yeah, the same things happens in the King James Bible. Like it's just yeah. written in a way that's indecipherable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If someone shows you their foot in in, in the Old <laughs> Testament, don't look. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, right, John. Right, right, <laughs> right, buddy. <laughs> uh, it's cool. It's sparse. That's Luke's opinion. It's light. That's also Luke's opinion. But it's got the blood and it's got the thunder. And I love the characterization of the actual Frost Giant's daughter. I think she's uh, awesome sauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's the coolest of the story. She, we, you could tell she's done this a bunch, right? <laughs> she's she, she's done she's, this a bunch, and then when it doesn't work, when when her brothers get killed, uh huh, she's like, oh shit, like I gotta get out of here. Right. Yeah, um, the con has failed. Yes. <laughs> uh, one thing that I wanted to go back to real quick, Luke, is you said something about like how this fits in the the overall Conan mythos or ouvoir or uh, what have you. Um, and at this point when it was written, there wasn't that, Yeah, which is the cool thing about the story. I think is that Howard was noodling, right? Like this is, this is jazz and he is plunking at the keys, like trying to figure out mm-hmm. what, what Conan is. And he's got Conan as an older man. Well, what is Conan when he's a young man? Is he, is he this mythic hero? Right. Is he a mythic villain? Is like what's what's he what's he is he a uh uh hyper uh hyborian age csi detective <laughs> um yeah no you're totally right and and i love that's why i, I think i like the frost giant's daughter and the god in the bowl there neither of those stories are really the best conan stories so i wouldn't compelling. put them in, in my top yeah. five uh but i like them because of uh, and and even more now that i know about them and their publication history. Like he's just trying to figure out what Conan is. And as much as he would like to say, Oh, Conan showed up in my, in my dreams or whatever in my head and told me all about right, it. Right. Right. Like, no, he's, he's trying to figure it out here. And this one kind of a dud, right. In, in the, the overall, uh, uh, sequence of the the character. This one, this one doesn't hit, and I think Farnsworth was probably right to say no to this one. I Dude, don't know, not not so much the God in the Bowl. I think the God in the Bowl should have been in Weird Tales. Like, it's a it's a weird ass story. Yeah, more yeah, than is. this. Yeah, uh, I I agree with everything that you just said. Like, this is a great story for people that know. The story of Conan. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the thing that that I that I've that I've thought about over the past day or so since I've reread this. Like, if you know what it's about, and you kind of know the context, it's it's Howard. Like you use the analog of playing jazz. Like like he's he's feeling things out, but it is no Tower of the Elephant. Right. Like like this story is just. Uh, a little stepping stone to that 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 thing and that's like what we'll get into after the scarlet citadel right like mm-hmm. we'll we'll talk about those and then we're up and running there's all kinds like i well we're gonna talk about black colossus uh Zuthul of the dust Zuthul, which which is like one of the first ones that i think we all universally 
super loved right? I, I do yeah that's my uh that's my my sexy exploitation you're, like you're, like that's like dark Con- horse like, pick yeah like conan conan gets like like that's the super sexy one that i i'm so excited to get back to some of these but uh those are young conan uh he's walking a line and it's not quite tapping into all of the mythology it's mm-hmm. more it's more rock and roll <laughs> i don't know if we keep using the music comparisons here it's catman yeah it's catman <laughs> crothers uh i think that when howard figures that like what so patrice lunay goes on to say that after or around about the time that howard wrote um the god in the bowl and the frost giant's daughter that he was playing with the hyborian hsa okay like, like he kind of thought I've got something good here. I need to stream. I need to get everything in order so that when I talk about this world, it feels lived in. Like I can, I can just pull from this. And I think that the Hyborian age essay encouraged him to, you know, create his own mythos with notes from all the stuff that he had read you know, borrowing cool stuff like Lovecraftian gods and maybe even, uh, uh, you know, magic from from various myths and various cultures. Like I'm thinking about uh, the people of the Black Circle and how couched in um, different cultures that story is and how unlike any, like, mythological analog that story is it's so damn cool um and it's you know this i think he's hewing real close to a myth that sort of captivated his imagination here and i think it just it it's cool to discuss from a howard scholar perspective but like from a story perspective eh, yeah it's it's fine but there, we've each said there are better Conan stories in this. Yeah, one. so I think it becomes more important. The scholar thing that you just mentioned, it becomes the the early story, right? Like mm-hmm. this is the story. Maybe Conan doesn't like to share because he doesn't know if it really happened. Uh, he had a concussion, right? right? Like it, it is sort of a myth to him, even in some ways. It, and it's the first one in the Dark Horse uh-huh. book. Basically, uh, it becomes a proto myth for Conan, I guess. So, I think so. There's a, there's something to chew on there. Yeah. He, I like what you said. He goes into the north, like north of even Samaria, and mm-hmm. he he finds this like this horror show, right? right? Uh but from how like a, a real world Howard banging on the the typewriter kind of um standpoint, like Howard's playing with mythology here trying to figure out where Conan should exist. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and and it it is cool from the standpoint of of that. Yeah, so it, it, it has intrinsic value. I think it's, yeah, it's not a super good story, and it's it makes it, it gives you the feel bads. <laughs> yes, it does give you the feel bads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I like the idea that here at the end of the story, he's holding this gossamer bit of fabric that he's torn from Atali's outfit like yes. such as such as it is right. as presented by the dark horse 
uh, artists like um, was it Carrie Nord? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm holding. This is me as Conan <laughs> holding the gospel. Uh, <laughs> you were like, oh, and, and I've got the gospel. Right. Yeah, sorry. No, uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> no, leave it in. Um, and and he's talking to some people who have found him, and they're like, "Thank God you didn't freeze to death. What right. what the hell are you doing all the way up here?" And he's like, "Well, this crazy thing, this crazy thing happened, and I don't know if it's real or not." But then he's got this, and what is this? Right. You know, yeah, because Gorm, so, the the touched in the head, is like, no, I've seen her before. Like this is the he gives the yeah, world yeah, building he knows. exposition. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Like that very last doof gives the bit of world building that kind of sets up all of it, which I do like the final like, uh, the the final chapter like exposition that kind of puts all the pieces into place that you kind of saw. I like that approach. But it's still slight because it's just her. Well, and it's slight. And you, what you said earlier struck me like a thunderbolt because I had never thought about it before. But it is the exact same ending to Phoenix on the Sword. Yeah, yeah, Weird yeah. yeah. God it, thing in my hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's almost a little bit Twilight Zoney mm, uh, mm-hmm. in that both this and Phoenix on the Sword end. With this little, it's not a, it's not even a gotcha, and it's not even quite a, quite a uh, Twilight Zone ending. I shouldn't have even made that a comparison. Barbarian from the northern like, wastes. It just it ends with this little like dun dun dun. Yeah, it's but a what stinger. does that tell you? There's there's no moral fiber to it. It's just the is this real? Is this not? And, and it had to be. It has to be right. Yeah. Like it has to be real. Otherwise, why is he holding the fabric? Yeah, there's um, this fantastic element that is confirmed at the end of Phoenix on the Sword and at the end of the Frost Giant's Daughter. And like, at, at the end of the God in the Bowl, he runs from the thing. He, he sees the thing. It makes him crazy. He chops its head off and he runs away, right? Uh-huh. Like it's a it's a, a child of set. Like it's a human serpent uh-huh. hybrid thing. And and he he's, he's like, holy shit, this is all real. And so... He, with all of these, with all of these stories, we're getting basically a confirmation of some sort of mythic or 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 fantastic world. Like like that's Other- definitely how like Phoenix on the Sword. It's like confirmation of like oh, uh, reaching beyond the grave and magic is a thing. For afterlife Conan. is and, real, and yeah. only Conan knows it. In this one, he's got the the fabric from her her dress or whatever and he's holding it and he 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 knows in his head what it is right nobody else in the that's seeing him knows what it is right unless he tells them yeah. but that would that's non-canon right he doesn't right. he doesn't tell right. and then uh in the god in the bowl I'm tr- struggling to remember. Yeah, I can't like, remember how it People keep going up. in there and they keep dying, right? Like the it, it doesn't seem like a Three Stooges kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the God has a long neck and and they're like, what is in there? And somebody else goes in and they die too or whatever. Uh, he sees the thing and he kills it, and it's he it's confirmed to him. But he runs the heck away and it says something like, you know, Set and his children are out there in the pyramids and and boy doesn't this then this suck for us not a good time yeah stay stay away from stygia <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't go there. I got to say, uh, I wonder if Ymir has it out for Conan the rest of his life. Ymir feels like a god that is akin to Krom right. in a way. Like, except that Ymir's followers are more active. Yeah. Well, and there is there is Valhalla, which seems better than the gray wastes of Samaria or where Krom or, lives. Or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Krom's mountain. The gray, the gray afterlife. Yeah. And if you read the Dark Horse version, there's even like they burn their dead so that they can rise up to meet Ymir and and go to Valhalla. Right. Uh, but probably because you can't dig the frozen ground. <laughs> also that, yeah. Uh, it has been adapted into comics. This story does seem to touch a note with people. Like it seems to still ring down within Howard's stuff. Uh, we've alluded to the Dark Horse version. There's a Marvel Comics version that you can find in various avenues. I have it in the Savage Sword of Conan Omnibus Volume 1. Uh, it appeared in Savage Tales issue number one, which we were talking about off mic earlier, contains uh, a whole host of pulpy folks, uh, including Kazar and Man-Thing. Uh, there's a story called The Fury of the Themazons by Stanley and John Romita. I'm not, I don't know how I would rate that one. Themazons? Yeah, Themazons. Uh, but this is Roy Thomas and uh, uh, Barry Smith Jr., right? How do you say his name? Barry Windsor Barry Smith. Barry Windsor Smith. I forgot the Windsor Barry part. Smith Jr. Barry Smith. <laughs> uh, the the opening page is really cool. Um, really good early Conan stuff, I guess I would say. But uh, if you want to check out some comics, they're out there. Big lips, big hair. Big lips, big hair. Don't um, care. Big eyebrows. Mm. Uh, I guess. It's the, like it's like Def Leppard or Poison or uh, Motley Crue, those, uh, Conan, right? We yeah. were talking about this. And those panels are like full of just bodies right like right. it's it's just close-ups of conan and close-ups of uh the frost giant's daughter and close-ups of her yeah. brothers like it's it's real claustrophobic it's, I think. it is it's a lot of people yeah there, there's not much in the way of background it's all focused on the characters even if there's not a uh a close-up of somebody's face or body mm-hmm it's All, like, th- like this one I'm pointing to the, like I'm pointing to a panel here like it's uh, Conan and Atali and they're like skating down ice but the ice it's just there's nothing there it's right. just like a sheet and so it's kind of a blank canvas mm-hmm. or here like that's just snow Conan by himself in the snow one thing that I like about uh, Barry Windsor Smith's version is that most often if the panels are focused on Atali or her brothers, you're looking up, and if they're focused on Conan, you're looking down. Mm. Oh, that's cool. It's, it's an interesting makes perspective. Them, makes them feel like they are giants. Yeah. Yep. Like yeah, that's something that the eyes. Dark Horse doesn't do. Yeah. yeah. And looking down on Conan here in the battle. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, yeah good catch. So, I love the I love the multi-panel. I love the six or nine panels right. on a page. It's a lot of good storytelling, dude. Mm-hmm. I do I do think I prefer the, the Carrie Nord. Yeah. It's hard to top. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt Busiek does a good job of threading all of this together as the Namidian Chronicles. I love in, in and this is taking us on a tangent, but I love the way that trade paperback opens mm-hmm. with the prince finding like he's he's on a car he's in a caravan and he's got a vizier and they're like 
what are they mapping something? They're mapping. He's they've conquered this land and they're there to figure out like who the, they're doing a, a survey. Okay, yeah, basically like who are these people and what can and we get? What do they of them? do? Yeah. Um, and he find they find the statue of Conan and they find a scroll and the scroll is the Nemedian Chronicles. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's it's clear that the vizier like he's got snake eyes. Like it's Thothamon. It's got to be Thothamon. And because he fights this tooth and nail, yes, he doesn't want to talk. Doesn't want to talk about Conan. Nope. He's he's like you don't like this guy. Actually, probably kind of sucked. You don't want to know about him. Let's just get back to taxing the locals. Um, he's got to be Thothamon, right? Yes, that is definitely. And he's <laughs> he's imperious. Like he he views himself above the 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 prince. Yeah, it's, it's I love that. I don't I don't think it ever comes to a satisfying conclusion though, which is a bummer. Yeah. But it's it's a good uh uh wrap around kind of uh uh story. Yeah, yeah. There there's the panel that I was thinking of oh. with the the head just kind of <laughs> being chopped off. Yeah. That's yeah. our introduction to Conan. Yeah. Is he says man and then he chops the guy's head off. Yeah. Gone. Yep. Anyway. Let's uh wrap it wrap it up here. What All are right. we uh we we Anything have a else? lot of convoluted feelings about the story. Um, I think you will too if you read through it. Um, if people want to tell us what they think about it, where could they find us and do that? Uh, they could find us on the web at thecromcast.blogspot.com. We're on social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Anything else? Did we add anything? Are we on Mastodon yet? No. Nah. No? Okay. I, I mean, I think that's about it. Just um, Google the Chromecast and then when it says Chromecast, say no, I meant the Chromecast. No, I meant that. And yeah. call it good. Uh, and... Yeah, we're out there. 859-429-CROM. You can call us. Leave us your meandering thoughts. It would be awesome to hear from from you guys. Um, one thing that I did want to say. Who's your favorite Norse mythological character? <laughs> uh, we got a Facebook comment from someone named Tom uh, who said, I just discovered the podcast and it's so fun to find a regular discussion of old school pulp and fantasy. I would never have known about most of Robert E. Howard's poetry poetry if it wasn't for you guys. I had only read Samaria and the single poems he wrote about Solomon Cain and Cole. Even when writing about emotional real-life subjects, he seems very literal-minded. It's like reading prose in ballad meter, interesting experience, and definitely pulp poetry, something that doesn't get all that much attention. So, thank you, Tom. We should have had that guy on during yeah, that man. season. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's he's uh, succinct, he's eloquent. Yeah. He hasn't drank a half a bottle of Evan Williams. He knows the words. He's <laughs> got all the best words. He's got the best ones. All right. What else? That's it, right? We're heading to a yeah. Citadel next, right? Scarlet. Scarlet. It's red. It's in the distance. Red Tower. That's a lame title for a story. Why the hell would you call it your story Red Tower? Red Tower. You know what you should call it? Scarlet Citadel. <laughs> Scarlet Citadel. I'm going to write a story. I'm going to call it Red Tower. <laughs> it's going to rock your face off. Do it. You're going to eat those words. I hope it starts on a dark and stormy night and at uh-huh. a tavern. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about three bros. That's awesome. Do they have somebody saying over there, oh, we got an adventure. You want to you wanna hop on? You want to make some gold, eh? <laughs> he's he's a... He's one of them rangers. He's one of them rangers. <laughs> Is that how it's going to start? Yeah. I'm down, That's dude. it. I'm We're down right to clown. Right now. Yeah.
All right, I'm, I'll stop now, John. I'm sorry. No, I, I, I want to know what happens next. <laughs> I, I don't know. Adventure. Go on an adventure. It's going to be was, storming outside. I was, in, I was enthralled. I, I wanted to know what happened. Next. You better have your cloak waxed. Cloak. Yeah, wax cloak. What are we referencing? What's our <laughs> charm? Uh, it's, it's Lord of the Rings, but it's okay. also D and D, and and maybe it's uh, uh, Luke's game that he okay. ran for us. Okay, <laughs> we're in the drunk duck. Dude. I didn't know about the wax cloak part. That was what threw you got to wax the cloak. Yeah, if yeah. you want a waterproof, like something to to protect you when you're out uh, in the dark and stormy night. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm just a librarian in this story. Well, you use <laughs> <laughs> you've read about this. <laughs> You've read the scrolls of ancient uh, cloak maintenance. That's five hundred series. Wax it up. It's like it's like it's, it's min wax. It's like uh, mink oil. Uh-huh. Oh, like gotta do something on there. Yeah, do something. Good God! Bye, everybody. We're out. I'm sorry. Bye, bye, bye. I'm sorry for everything. <laughs> Perfect. I should never have done this. It was a mistake. It was me. I'm the one. <laughs>
party pizzas doing in here? I'm like, <laughs> did you did you order some party pizzas? Do Don't touch those. <laughs> get, your, get your hands off those. I don't know where this came from. <laughs> Some I don't officer. know. 